Thanks, you guys. I thought we were in heaven for a while. That's what it's going to sound like, only a lot louder. I'm Lynn Kitchens. I'm so glad to be here with you today. And I decided since we're talking about praise today and I get to be the one up here that Karen Miles is going to be my new best friend because uh, she loves to talk about praise. In fact, here's one of Karen's famous sayings, complain and remain in pain, praise and be raised. So we have a choice. Last week, Deb talked about the different kinds of psalms. Oh, before I forget, let me say thank you, I mean, hello to our Bible study that's out in Alito now, our uh, Christ Chapel West. So we're so glad you're a part and getting together. Um, they started last night. Okay, Deb taught us about the different kinds of palm, psalms, and Psalm 103 is definitely a psalm of praise. You don't find one request from David here. You won't find a lament. You won't find a complaint. There are no clouds on the horizon. No notes of sadness in this psalm. Instead, it is a crescendo of pure praise. Starting with David, moving out to the praises of Israel and the praises of the angels and all creation. I have a fun story that's connected to singing um, that happened to me in ninth grade. I was in a choir, not because I sang well, I, I was very mediocre, but I liked to sing, and uh, so they made me a second soprano. I'm not sure what that person is, but for me, it meant I couldn't sing the high notes of the soprano, and I couldn't sing the low notes of the alto, so I have an idea of my extensive vocal range <laughs> as part of the choir, and we were getting ready to sing a special in a church near our high school, and so I learned my second soprano part as best as I could. We went um, probably on a Sunday, I don't remember, into this auditorium in a church, sort of similar to this, but smaller. And for some reason, our choir director, he lined us up along the wall singly. So our choir stood against the wall facing forward. So when we sang, it kind of came into the whole room, which was really fun. But we got back to choir class on Monday, and Mr. Forrest said, well, I didn't tell you, but we were taping this song that we sang in this church. And we're like, okay. And he goes, but something happened. Since we were all lined up against the wall, the microphone was taped above one person. <laughs> and he said, when I listen to the tape, it's just one person singing. But the good news is, he said, whoever this person was, they knew their part perfectly. And he said, when I find out who it is, I'm going to turn it on, you all can tell me, that person gets an A for the semester. Which was, you know, in high school, you're just trying to get all the A's you can get. So as soon as he turns on the tape, everyone recognizes my mediocre voice. And starts laughing, and I'm thinking, I don't care, I get an A. But the good thing is, I knew my part well. And I did what my teacher expected. God gave us a part to sing when we came into this world, and he expects his children to sing it well. We are born to sing God's praises. 
That's the part we have to learn. And throughout our life, it's like there's a microphone just above our heads. And every praise that comes from our hearts goes up into God's ears. It's what we're supposed to do. It's what he expects from us. And if we know our part well, and we're singing it here, before we get there, he has lots of rewards he wants to hand to us. Built into praise and the obedience of praise are rewards from God. Do you want to feel closer to God? Sing his praises to him. Do you want to find joy in the midst of suffering? Praise God. Do you want to keep an eternal perspective? Spend time praising God. Do you want to keep fear from ruling your life? Spend time praising God. Do you want to have a life filled with hope and filled with truth? Then spend time praising God. I love the old song, Praise the Lord. It has these true words in it. Our God inhabits praise. And that's what's happening when we're praising him. We're getting to know and draw near to our creator and we're reaping those rewards he has for us because we're beginning to know him intimately. And I think that God's part is to be holy and great and he doesn't need any practice. Our part is to sing those truths back to him. We practice every day. And from this psalm, I hope you all learned, David practiced. David practiced his part that God gave him to do. And uh, we can learn more about praise by singing along with David in Psalm 103. And when I was first working on this, I thought, you know, we could be tempted to think, yeah, easy to praise God. You're a king. You have servants. You're rich. Everything's going your way. Here's the truth, though, about David. He was chosen to be the king of Israel by God, but it was not easy. While he was waiting for his crown, he was running for his life for years in the wilderness with King Saul chasing him with spears and armies. He had other enemies in the desert. He didn't even have a home. That was his life before king. Once he was king, guess what? Did his enemies leave? He had enemies. He had traitors. He faced rejection. He had one of his own sons rape one of his own daughters. He had his other son Absalom try to overthrow him and kick him out of his um, palace. David finds himself on the run again and his own son is the one chasing him with armies to take his life. And David suffered the loss of his son Absalom, as well as lots of other people throughout the years he was king. So when we know this about David, and we hold this praise in our hands, it should make us realize it doesn't matter how many trials and how hard our life is. Praise is the song, the part that God gave us to sing, and we can still do it even in the midst of our suffering. In fact, we have to do it if we want to get through our suffering. It's our anchor. Okay, so look at Psalm 103. It starts with verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. To bless the Lord means to delight him with true praise. Delight him with true praise. And we know from verse 1, David's entire being is focused on that. When you see him say, 
Praise him, O my soul, and all that is within me. He's talking about his intellectual side as well as his emotional side. And if you were here Sunday, that was the topic in church about worship, that we're to worship in spirit, which is more the emotions, and in truth, which is the theology. David's saying he's doing that right here. True praise springs from both a grateful mind and a grateful heart, that desire to bring glory to God. So when we know that, we can know that if we've memorized something or we're chanting something that's a phrase that's repetitious, we're saying a prayer or a praise without even thinking about it, that's not praise because it's not having any kind of meaning for the heart. But on the other hand, praise is not just an emotional outburst that makes us feel good. That leaves out true theology about God. That has no meaning for the mind. So instead, I believe David's thinking with his mind the theological truths about God. It moves his heart and from there springs praise. Here's what his mind thinks about God. Verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives your iniquity, he heals your diseases, he redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Don't you know when we remember the goodness of God, we cannot keep from singing. It's totally true. Here's our problem. We have to be intentional sometimes in order to remember the goodness of God. And David was, verse 1, it's like he's commanding his soul. Bless the Lord, soul. Bless the Lord. And then he begins to remember the wonderful truths about God. And sometimes when I am spiritually weak, when I am discouraged, and I find myself slowly going down into darkness like a dark pit, um, it's like God says, praise me, remember. And it's like he's pulling me towards the light as I'm singing my praises back to him. We have to be intentional about remembering the good things about God. So these verses are great for us. They describe what David remembers. These are some of God's attributes, which means his character traits, which are the truths that define who God is. So first he talks about forgiveness. He forgives um, all our iniquities. And this is powerful when we remember some of the major sins that David had. We all know the story of Bathsheba. He committed adultery with her. We all know that he really was responsible for bringing Uriah to his death. And yet... He says that God is a forgiver. Um, he's forgiven that iniquity. I'm assuming he wrote this psalm after the sin of Bathsheba. But if not, he knew this so well that later on he would be able to call upon God knowing he's a forgiver of sins. And that's what he did. The word iniquity here actually means twisted or distorted, which is, I thought, a great definition of sin. So if we want to sing our praise part well, we have to stop and remember all the twisted and distorted sins we've committed against God and how he's our forgiver when we come to him. And that 
should bring praise rising in our hearts. We can rejoice in that. Look at Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then David talks about healing. He heals all your diseases. Okay, this is also amazing when we think about David's history. Because we all know Bathsheba got pregnant from David. The baby's sick. David prays and prays and prays for God to heal it. And the baby dies. And yet, David calls God a healer. And here's what I think. David understood that even though God is not bound to heal every illness, every healing does come from him. David knew he chose not to heal that baby. But he still knew he was a healer. All healing comes from him. And we need to remember that so we can sing loudly. He's our spiritual and he's our physical healer. I read about a woman in Australia recently who, um, because of some diseases, she had lost her arms and her legs. Was um, Mostly they had to amputate because of this disease. She lived in a little cottage she called Gladwish, which is a happy name. And um, she didn't come out of there for 40 years. The neat thing is God used her. Because I believe she saw God as her healer even in that place that he had her. Because I believe she knew there's more than one way to be healed. And I think God was meeting all her needs. And he gave her a ministry of prayer. And he gave her a ministry. She attached a pen to part of her arm. And she wrote and wrote and shared letters. And they say hundreds of people came to Christ because of her ministry. He talks then about redemption. He redeems your life from the pit. The pit here refers to Sheol, which is the world of the dead. So this verse is talking about God delivering us from death. Think about David again. He was the shepherd boy. He says he faced lions and bears. And he lived to tell the story. He faced, as a teen, the mighty Goliath. And he lived to tell the story. He faced the spear of King Saul, and he lived. He faced the Philistines, their enemies, and he lived. And he spent the rest of his life around a whole lot of people that wished he was dead. And he lived, and he remembers it's only because of God. I have lived. He's redeemed my life from death. And he praises him for that. He also knows one day God's mercy is going to take him from the grave to be with him for all eternity. Look what David said in Psalm 49 on your verse sheet. God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. To sing our song well, let's remember God is our protector throughout the day. And I just have to say, I I really don't think we have any idea how many times we came close to death that either God sent his angels to intervene or he changed the circumstances. There's no way for us to know that, but we believe it. David saw that in every time he faced death in his life. I thought about my sister here. When she was 16, you know, she got a car and it was red. And it was from that end of the stage to that end of the stage. Back then, that's how long cars were. (laughs) And the steering wheel was this big. (laughs) 
Anyway, she hadn't had that thing long that she came to a major intersection. Someone plowed through a red light, plowed into my sister. Her car was unrecognizable, totally smashed, totally totaled. My sister, when the ambulance and police and everyone gets there, is standing outside of her car like this. And we said, you know, they said to her, how did you, how did you get out? And she said, I don't remember getting out. And he said, how come you don't have one scratch on you? She says, I don't know. Those are the kind of things I think God was her deliverer, and we can walk in confidence knowing that. But then we also praise God. We know one day he's going to deliver us from the darkness of death and the grave to spend eternity with him. Look at Romans 8. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, then David talks about love here. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. I think David began understanding the great love of God when he was a little shepherd boy with his sheep because he talks like that and he wrote things about God then and he carried his his little harp around with him and he sang songs to God and he began to develop this love for God at that point. And even though later he experienced all these heartaches, one day he still wore a crown now but still understood The love and mercy of God are the greatest crown of all because they come from the king of all kings. I am nothing next to him. His love means everything to me. When we think about God's love, our hearts are turned to praise. Uh, In Alito, I love this about the Alito High School, they sort of have a reputation of choosing homecoming queens of girls that have been kind to their classmates and people that are good and bless people. And a few years ago, they chose a senior girl who had Down syndrome to be queen. Did any of you see that was on the national news? Yeah. I was just so proud of that school um, and that senior class. So she was on, I think it was... I think it was Diane Sawyer that was talking to her or whatever. She's the cutest, funnest girl. And here's what she said. I sleep with my crown. I wear my crown in the shower. (laughs) And I'm going to wear this crown the rest of my life without taking it off. Because for her, and it was true, it represented the love of her senior class, the love of her classmates. And sometimes our praises are weak because we are doubting God's love. We get angry. We get disappointed with him. And we make the mistake of thinking that somehow that crown of love has fallen off of our head. But if we want to sing our praises well, we have to remember nothing removes the crown of God's love from our head. Even when there's suffering in our lives. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. We should never determine if God loves us based on the good or the bad things that's happening in our life. And that's the mistake it's easy to do. And then we can't praise him in truth because we're doubting him. 
Here's the only truth we need to know. If you ever say to yourself, I'm not sure God loves me. Look at this, this, this. I don't know if God... Okay, turn to this verse. It's the only verse that we cling to. 1 John 4. Well, it's not our only verse. It's a good one. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The truth is, God's love is a crown of beauty on our heads. It will never come off. It will be there in all eternity his great love that covers us. Okay, and then he talks about satisfaction, verse 5. He satisfies you with good so your youth is renewed like the eagles. You know, if David wanted to be satisfied by being king alone, he would have been really disappointed. But here's what we know to be true, because the Bible tells us in the stories of David and in his Psalms that his greatest delight in life wasn't about being a king. His greatest delight in life was about knowing God and bringing his people to be faithful to God and to know God as well. Uh, Regardless if he were in a cave running for his life or if he was sitting on a throne wearing his crown, his joy and delight was with his relationship with God. He loved to sing to him. He spoke his praises to the people. He died speaking God's praises. This is um, true. There is no desires of our flesh that will ever truly satisfy us. I love the picture of that. When the Ark of the Lord had held uh, the tablets, the Ten Commandments, the Philistines had stolen it. It made its way back to Jerusalem. And we get this picture of this king looking out his window, running out. He's barely dressed, and he dances around the Ark. The joy of his heart, not being dressed up and being a king. God's words were coming to Jerusalem. The presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant coming to Jerusalem. That's what made his heart beat. That's what satisfied him. God gives us all we really need. In a relationship with him, he has to be our satisfaction if we want to be people that praise him. We have to realize he's my goal. He's my goal. Not that job, not to make this much money, not to be able to travel a lot, not to just have a great marriage. He's my goal. If we do that, we're going to be praising him well and we're going to find great satisfaction as if we were renewed like an eagle. What's stronger than an eagle? It's a picture of God giving us spiritual vigor in the midst of a hard place to live. Look at 2 Corinthians. We do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. And Jesus agrees with this. Look at Matthew, what he has to say. Don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Be satisfied in God. 
Okay, if you glance back down through those attributes of God and what David remembers, do you see how there's actually sort of an outline or a timeline of a spiritual person's growth in Christ? It begins with how he heals us and uh, redeems us and forgives us, and then it shows how we grow, protected by his love and mercy, and it ends up talking about how at the end of our life we find we are satisfied, and even though we're old, we have spiritual strength. So David started his praise this way. He's looking inward, he's praising, but now it's as if he looks up and he sees around him the nation of Israel. And so he's going to call on them to sing their part. And I like this because David saw himself as part of the backdrop of all of Israel's blessings. All the corporate blessings of Israel also belonged to David. They were his people. He wants them to join in with what they know to be true about God. Look at verse 6. This is how David first begins by really sort of defining Israel and defining God among them. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Okay, was Israel an oppressed people? Yes. Did God work righteousness and justice throughout their history? Yes. Now, David probably here was referring to uh, when God heard Israel's cry when they were enslaved in Egypt for, I think, 400 years. Even then, God was working out his righteousness because he delivered them. And by doing that, he was showing righteousness because he was saying, I made a covenant with Abraham. I'm going to keep it. I haven't forgotten you. You're not being lost as a nation. The righteousness of God, he removes them. It also showed his justice because he was upholding the rights of God's people against their tormentors. God working righteousness and justice in them. Look at verse 7. Here's what else he did for them. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And this sums up the main reason Israel should sing their part well. Other nations knew about God. Only Israel knew God. Only Israel had that privilege. And God um, revealed himself to them through Moses. And this verse tells us through his acts, his miracles, so they would know the one true God and sing their praises to him. Every other nation had man-made gods. Things they made up, things they set on their mantles in their homes that were made out of sticks and stones by the hands of men. This verse tells us that he revealed through uh, miracles the acts and, gosh, we can look back in their history. Think about all the plagues he sent to Egypt. Think about how he parted the Red Sea. These were visible outer things for Israel to realize who the one true God was. At night, there was a cloud in the sky that they could follow. When they were hungry, they could look up and food fell from heaven. The mighty acts of God, this nation called to understand him and who he was. And then he also used Moses. That's where the people learned the character And the will of God, mostly from what he told Moses on Mount Sinai. 
Uh, I wanted to look at part of that because it's a good picture of how God was working among them to draw them to the reality of I'm the only true God. This is um, when Moses is with God, but I want you to envision what's happening here because it was also a miracle for them to witness. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the clouds covered it six days and on the seventh he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights then he turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. Hard not to believe. Maybe we know the one true God. They're standing at the base of a mountain. There's lightning, thundering. It's wrapped in a cloud, and they see poor Moses walk up into it. Come back with words. From God himself. Were any of the false gods doing that? No. David remembers how God described himself to Moses on the mountain. And this is how. Look at verse 8. This is what God said about himself. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Hey, that proved totally true of how God dealt with Israel. This proves totally true of how God deals with us in our lives as well. God's words explain God's character and lead us to praise. He's saying the Bible is the work of God, the writing is the writing of God. Without it, we don't have truth, and therefore we're not praising at all. Without it, we can make up our own God, which, guess what? That's what Israel did when it took so long for Moses to come down. They got tired of waiting. So once again, they take out their hands and they make up a God, and they say, oh, this is our God, this is who we worship. And we sometimes do the same thing. If we're tired of waiting on God, if we're tired of studying the words of God, we can decide God is whoever we want him to be. If we decide, I'm going to read these Christian books and they've got even more authority in my life than the words of God. This is how we praise well, because this is where we learn who God really is. Psalm 119.7 tells us this. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. So how does God's word explain God's love? Didn't you love these? We sing these verses, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion 
to those who fear him. I think David is thinking about how false gods can't love us. Israel's God's different. His love is incalculable. From the distance between earth and heaven, his forgiveness is also indescribable. The distance between east and west, his love is tender and touching, like the love between a father and a son. David knew this, and so he could praise well. I've talked before about um, this story, I think, my son... Tyler, when he was in middle school, I think, so he's a pretty, he's six foot four now, so he was pretty tall and a big guy even in middle school, and we have this steep driveway, and it goes a long time, it's long, and one time Ted and I were out there, and he was out there, and he hopped on his bike, and he took off down the drive, and the next thing we hear is crashing, we can't see because it turns, that's where he crashed, crashing and screaming. And I remember Ted just take off running down the driveway and then coming around that curve, holding Tyler in his arms, this big, lanky, long guy, and running up that steep driveway to bring him home. When we sin, when we choose to sin, when we drift into sin, God is waiting to pick us up. Right where we crash. Right where we crash. To take us back home with him. We just need to put up our arms. That's how much he loves us. It's because he is God. We are not. This was a point that David all of a sudden began to think about. Who's like God? We sure aren't. Look at verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. We are frail. God is great. We are created. He's the creator. Our life on earth physically is temporary. God is eternal. He is weak. We are strong. And the man that forgets that, the man or a woman that thinks too highly of themselves that think they can earn God's goodness and favor will have a real hard time praising God. They'll be too busy praising themselves, patting themselves on the back. We can't learn the part God assigned us to sing if we're singing our own praises. Praise can never hold hands with pride. Praise never comes out of a prideful heart. And sometimes I think, well, we we aren't probably prideful. I'm not prideful. But when we think to ourselves, I'm going to help God out here. Or I'm not going to go to God with this. I'll just handle this myself. Or I deserved to be blessed in this. Those are pride issues that keep us from going and praising our God. Acknowledging our frailty helps us to sing God's greatness. Acknowledging who we are. I thought about Job here. You know, God allowed great suffering in Job's life. A righteous man who could have said, I deserve all blessings from God because I follow him and look at me and I do all this. Job and his friends questioned the actions of God when he suffered. And then God showed up. 
When God presented himself to Job in all his glory, he said, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And frail Job replies meekly, I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. My ears have heard of you. Now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Great place to start praising God. Great place. When he admitted his weakness... God's greatness meant a lot to him. Okay, at this point, David began his song, looking inward, singing his part. He looks up. He called Israel to sing their praises for these great acts of God in their history. And now he turns and he looks up to the throne of God. This is going to be the crescendo of praise. Verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all his places of dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And we praise God. We aren't praising the old man in a rocking chair that some people like to envision God. We're praising the king of the universe. His kingdom rules over all. His authority is universal. And God must be the object of praise by everything, by everyone, because he has all authority. And so circling him in heaven, we see the angels circling him on earth. It's his works. It's his people. All God's creation together. The song that they sing, when they sing their part, it's a crescendo of praise to the king. And it's, this, it's as if at this point, David almost picks up a baton. And he's like, I'm going to direct everyone. And he sort of taps here, and he begins here um, talking to the angels in heaven. And you know why David could do that without feeling prideful? Because he understands it's all God's, and we're all united in faith and service to the same king. We're all singing the same song. And so he calls for the angels to sing and we hear their rolling anthem and they start singing their praises. They're strong and mighty in obedience and their service to God. And then he calls on God's hosts who do God's will. And some people think that's still the angels, but there's a great chance he was referring to the hosts of the stars and the skies. Sometimes he used that word that way. All the heavenly bodies that do God's will, that perform in his bidding. David's raising his baton and telling them to sing, and they join in singing what God expects them to sing. And then his arms get really wide, and he looks down at the entire universe, and he says, everyone, everything, get your part. You've been practicing. Let's all sing it together. It's like the hallelujah chorus. Over all God's dominion. And then David, I love it that he's got to get that last praise in. Bless the Lord, 
Oh, my soul, he sings his part. He sings it well. If God gave out A's, David would have one after this psalm. Like David, our song is part of a universal chorus of praise. It's awesome. But remember the phrase, and those of you maybe that took musical lessons, piano lessons, voice lessons, what did your teacher always say? Practice makes perfect. Okay. It's true with praise as well. A few things we need to remember. First of all, don't sing a selfish song. And here's what I mean. It's great to sing God's praises when we get what we want. But that's a really bad habit if that's the only time we praise God. That song is incomplete. It's unfinished. It leaves us immature. We're called to praise him regardless of the circumstances, and we've just seen how David did that throughout his life. And we are going to read a lot of David's complaints in the future when we study this and laments. But guess what? He always comes back to the truths of who God is, and he ends up in praise. So we don't just praise God for what he does. We praise him for who he is. Then don't forget the chorus. Did you notice something? I've kind of left it out that he says a lot about how you get God's blessings. But let's look at this one example. We'll go back to verse 17. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children's to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Obedience. And the fear of God are part of our song. They're the chorus of our song. God doesn't expect us to be praising him without desiring to do his will. Think about it. Praise and disobedience. Is that harmonious together? Is that ever going to be a harmonious song in God's ears? No. When we're praising him, We are also submitting ourselves to him and saying, I want to do your will. I'm laying myself out to follow you and be your servant. He expects our praise to come from a heart that wants to do God's will. And then don't just sing in the shower. And here's what I mean. Don't keep your praises all to yourself. Now, some of us, it's good when we sing and only sing in the shower. (laughs) But our praise songs, they need to go beyond us. You know, those words we speak to God, they're alive. When you mention it to someone else, they grow. They become alive in their heart. And they mention it to someone, and their faith is encouraged, and my faith is encouraged. And when I'm down in the dumps, and you praise God, I'm reminded, and I begin to remember who God is, what God does. So our job is to tell those praises to each other. We are all his children that help each other in that way. It's like when I hear a praise I sort of get tuned up again to be able to sing my song better, to know my part better. So God gave us a part to sing in his choir. Do we understand how amazing that is? A choir that comes from heaven 
that covers the entire earth, all nationalities, all people, all creation, down to the depths of the sea, up to the heavens, above. It's a privilege. So let's sing it well. And I want you to, we're going to start singing by reading this last verse together for our prayer. Ready? Sing to the Lord a new song. Okay, let's start over. We're all going to sing out loud. We're not in the shower. <laughs> sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Amen. Thank you, Lynn. I have uh, two quick announcements for you. Um, if you